Every year, tens of thousands of dogs, mostly beagles, are used as tools in deadly research experiments. Join me, your host, Ellie Hansen, as we dive into this issue and talk to all the awesome people out there trying to make a difference for these dogs. Best of all, find out what you can do to help. We're opening doors for discussion and shedding light on the facts. This is Dog Research Exposed. Nearly one year ago today, our nation's largest dog rescue operation began, and the name of Envigo, the company in Virginia breeding beagles for experimentation by the thousands, was forever tarnished in the minds of Americans who didn't know dogs were still being bred for research and certain death in laboratories around the world. And Vigo's dirty secrets of abuse within their facility were exposed after an undercover investigation by PETA revealed heinous violations of the Animal Welfare Act, which included 350 dead beagle puppies lying in cages with litter mates, maggots in dog food, untrained lab workers injecting euthanasia solution into puppies' hearts without anesthesia, and many other abuses. On May 18, 2022, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Inspector General, and other law enforcement agencies executed a federal search warrant of Invigo and seized 145 dogs and puppies determined by veterinarians to be in acute distress. The next day, United States authorities filed a complaint in a federal court in the Western District of Virginia, and the rest is history. Today, the over 4,500 beagles rescued from Invigo are safely in adoptive homes. The story of the Invigo beagles, however, started long before you or I ever knew about it. In fact, a few years before, Senator Bill Stanley, a Republican representing Franklin County, Virginia, had already been to Invigo on several occasions, having been notified of problems there. Distressed by what he saw, he was determined to get them shut down. And that he did. Along with fellow legislators from both political parties, Senator Stanley succeeded in passing five animal protection bills in the state of Virginia, which became known as the Beagle Bills, which essentially said companion animals like dogs and cats couldn't be abused in the state anymore, for any reason, even for so-called science. The beauty of the Invigo Beagle Rescue is in its story of cooperation, cooperation between political parties and animal welfare organizations on a scale that is rarely witnessed. Because saving the beagles of Invigo was something that touched everyone's heart and humanity, regardless of what side you were on. Senator Bill Stanley gives us an inside look at what it took to shut Invigo down, and shares personal stories of his own Invigo Beagles, Daisy and Dixie, and what he's planning in the coming year to end the cruel use of dogs for experimental research in this inspiring episode of Dog 
Research Exposed. The liberation of over 4,000 beagles from Invigo in the summer of 2022 was the largest dog rescue in U.S. history. And you were instrumental in getting the wheels turning on this. And honestly, if it weren't for you and Senator Jennifer Boisco shining a light on the animal welfare issues at Invigo, I don't know that Invigo would have been shut down. So how and when did you first become aware of the welfare problems at Envigo? Well, Ellie, thank you for having me. And, and it's great to talk to another uh, dog lover, animal lover, and uh, someone who fights to protect animals. But, you know, it started ba- back, actually, uh, the journey was when I started as a state senator in, in 2011. Uh, I got my kids interested in trying to understand what legislation was all about. And we've been big in rescuing animals, and my, my family was always participating in, in donating to animal rescue organizations in our area. And so we got involved in drafting a bill that was animal protection bill, which would have put anyone who was convicted of animal cruelty in Virginia on an animal cruelty list, because a lot of those people that are cruel to animals are also later cruel to humans. And so that would have been a great tool for our uh, people who sell dogs or, or find uh, homes for rescued dogs and cats to make sure that the people that they were adopting out these animals to were worthy of, of having them. And, and that bill didn't succeed, but I kept going on with animal rescue bills year after year, and it became a very a big passion of mine. And, and I was told in the General Assembly that the one thing you don't do is bring a dog or cat bill to the General Assembly. I took that as a challenge. And I accepted that challenge. And that brought us to about 2018, uh, where I'd gotten by that time some animal protection, especially companion animal protection bills passed. And um, had found a report where there was an experimentation going on at a federal facility in Virginia where they were using beagles and they were cutting them open and putting pacemakers in them and then running them on treadmills until they died. And that's how I got the idea to ban that practice of painful experiments in the Commonwealth of Virginia, especially they were giving uh, no anesthesia, no pain relief to these dogs. And I thought that especially cruel, not just the underlying uh, experimentation itself. And so I got that bill passed. And then the next bill that I put forward was to make sure that after they experimented with these dogs and cats, that they adopted them out and found some resistance from some of our colleges and universities that got that bill passed. And then I saw someone had taken a drone and flown it over where Invigo was and saw the conditions of dogs being stacked cage on cage in horrible condition. And that really started my my efforts to shut down Invigo. In fact, the drone footage was of a company prior to Invigo. Invigo bought that facility, and I put that bill in. Invigo fought very hard, brought in some of the best uh, lobbyists possible. Uh, We had competing bills. Jennifer Boisco and I had uh, my good friend from the Democrat side. I am a Republican, uh, which some people in companion animal uh, advocacy find that to be different. I don't see that inconsistent with my beliefs at all. And we had two versions of the bill, and they they conflicted and eventually Invigo was able to kill both of those bills. And then the next year we were in special session and they urged a fellow Senator of mine, Dave Marsden, to bring me to the Invigo facility because they wanted to show me that they'd cleaned up their act. And I resisted, I didn't wanna see anything like that. And finally I agreed to do it and went out there and, 
And yeah, the, the facility obviously was cleaned and in order, I think, because of our visit. But ultimately, nothing there changed my mind or the direction that I was moving into to stop this breeding and experimentation of beagles and cats in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And so we uh, we went there and they gave me their spiel. And that's actually how I got Daisy was from that, uh, which, you know, we can talk about later. But um, but it was it didn't it didn't change my mind at all. But when we came to to 2020 and 2021, it was the work of PETA and Daphna Nakmanovich and her her uh, group who had sent in an investigator and had videotaped the absolute abject cruelty that these dogs were suffering under. And that motivated me to file what has been known as the Beagle Bills. So you took two separate tours of the Invigo facility, one in 2020 and the other in 2021. They knew you were coming so they cleaned up their act. But what struck you most about your visits there? Well, what I noticed every single time was that there were a bunch of beautiful dogs that needed to find nice, beautiful, loving homes. And, and what I saw, you know, it was a clean facility. They were trying to tell me that, you know, these, these experiments were helping mankind in enormous ways. And, and I asked them about, okay, so tell me what we've cured using these beagles here. And the best they could do was uh, with in the field of prosthetics. And then I had them describe to me what that was and what they would do is break a dog's hip, replace it with a miniature version of a prosthetic that they would use on humans, and then run them on a treadmill. And I said, isn't there a better way to do that? They didn't say uh, yes or no, but they said, you know, the, the expense was more manageable in the experimentation of these new prosthetics than it would be in other methods. And I, and I didn't find that to be uh, good at all. When we went in November of 2021, that was after, of course, the release of what PETA's investigation had found and the fact that the USDA had found some critical violations of the facility. So I talked Dave Marsden, my Democrat senator friend from Northern Virginia, who had talked me into going to Invigo the year before in 2020, in August, to go back, but to do it as a surprise. And that we would make a surprise visit, show up at the gate, ring the bell, hit the button, and demand to be let in. Somehow, I think through his efforts of, of coordinating, they found out we were there. And when we were let in, lo and behold, there were four of their lobbyists from a very big lobbying firm in the Commonwealth waiting on us. And at that time, I sat down with the CEO of, of Invigo, who was there. The USDA was also there. They were using their conference room, so they sat us in their small kitchenette in their office, and they tried to explain away what had happened. And, and they basically had said that during the pandemic, they didn't stop breeding. They kept breeding. And when they kept breeding, the problem was is that the facilities that would buy these dogs for experimentation stopped doing experiments. And then they lost some employees, and it got away from them and this and that. And that was their reasoning behind it. I took it for face value. And I asked them very simply, I said, well, how many dogs are overbred? I mean, how, how many are you over? Because now they had overcrowding. And they said about 500. And so I told them what I was going to do and basically had thought out these Beagle bills before. And I told them what I was going to do. And, and I said, now, what are your plans with the 500? And the look on their face told me that the potential was that they might euthanize. If they, because a lot of these dogs were now too old or outside the experimentation range of age. And so I said, you're not going to euthanize or get rid of those dogs. You're going to allow me to adopt them out. 
And they agreed, readily agreed, and I give them credit for that. And they were very good about that. In fact, uh, I, uh, during the General Assembly session uh, later, I was able to uh, rehome about 10 of those dogs with legislators in the Virginia General Assembly and otherwise. And uh, we fostered some of them in my office at the uh, capital of Virginia in Richmond and also in my hotel. And it was enjoyable. I, I, I almost hated getting rid of every single one of them. But by that time, I had Daisy and Dixie, which we'll talk about, I know, in, in a little bit. But we were able to find homes for those 500 beagles and worked with the Richmond SPCA and Sue Bell from Homeward Trails. Uh, that was then my first encounter with John Raymer uh, of many, uh, who is a hero of mine uh, in what he does every single day. And what a what a great person and human being and great soul he is. And so we were able to find homes for 500 dogs. And this was before they were shut down and before the Beagle Bills got passed. They were very much against all of my Beagle Bills in the 2021 session and fought them. But like a like a like a storm brewing in the General Assembly, our bills caught fire and eventually we were able to successfully pass four of them that have made such a difference in those 4,500 beagles lives, as well as the 500 that we got out of there in the, in the uh, 2021 session. So these beagle bills, what loopholes did they successfully close in Virginia's animal cruelty laws that enabled all the Invigo beagles to be released and rescued and Invigo to be shut down? So I figured you'd ask that question. So I brought with me during our conversation all of the bill jackets and all of the writing that I did on the outside of them as well, which you can see, of course, but those in podcast land can only hear. So when I talked to them the second time that we visited, and when I got Dixie, our second dog, it seemed to me that they needed to have uh, certain regulations that would keep them from treating animals cruelly. Uh, They were cited for so many violations, and we saw the videotape, and those that have followed this story saw the, the horrible, horrible pictures and visuals and video of how these dogs were being treated. So the first pill I put in that they tried to kill was Senate Bill 87, which basically said that if a dog or cat bred for experimentation, if they had received certain citations of by the USDA, a critical violation within two years or three non-critical violations, then they would be forbidden from selling or breeding or selling dogs in the Commonwealth of Virginia. This was actually an amendment of another companion animal bill that I'd gotten passed in trying to close the, the puppy mill loopholes that we had in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Over the years, I was able to stop puppy mills in Virginia, close the loopholes. They were selling them actually in flea markets, uh, close that loophole. And then what I saw was puppy mills from Pennsylvania, a lot from Pennsylvania, Maryland, Western Maryland, were coming down in, in, at pet stores, putting dogs in there that were not healthy. And then there were people that would pay a lot of money for those dogs. And then they'd get them home and then they were sick. And so they would either couldn't afford the care. And so they'd turn them over to our shelters. Or if they did, some of those dogs died and, and broke the hearts of many young children and, and parents and owners who, who loved their dogs. And and so I created a bill to stop that, that if any of those had either a critical violation or four, uh, three or four non-critical violations in a two-year span, that they would be forbidden from selling a dog in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And what we saw in those cases with, uh, with the puppy mill people, some of the puppy mills wouldn't even let the USDA in to inspect. And that bill also said, if you don't let the USDA in to inspect, then quite frankly, uh, you can't sell, period. 
And so that was the first bill. So I amended what was existing law in Virginia to include then uh, those places like Invigo that bred dogs and cats for experimentation purposes. The second bill uh, was Senate Bill 88, which was something that we had never done before. I asked our VDACs, Virginia Department of Ag, to basically tell me, you know, how many violations, what kind of statistics do you get from Invigo and other places that breed dogs and cats for experimentation in Virginia on how many are bred, how many die in captivity, what the cause of death is, where they go, how they dispose of them, et cetera. We had none of those rules or regulations whatsoever in Virginia. And so I wrote the bill, Senate Bill 88, to make sure that every year, places like Invigo would have to report exactly those things. And that way we could look at and see exactly what was going on inside the fencing. I don't know if you've ever been to the Invigo, the former Invigo facility in Cumberland County in Virginia, but it's in the middle of nowhere and it, it's a barbed wire fence that looks like a prison. And the drive in is about a mile and a half after you get through the gate to get there. You wouldn't know it was there unless you had a drone flew over it. And, uh, and so they were, they were hiding in plain sight. And so this would at least every year give us that opportunity to see what they were doing. And they objected uh, fiercely to that. And so that was Senate Bill 88. Senate Bill 90 was then amending the bill we were talking about earlier, which said, if you don't sell these dogs for experimentation, you must adopt them out instead of euthanizing them. Because a lot of times when they went outside of the experimentation age, they were just euthanizing them, as we saw even from the videos uh, from Daphne's organization and PETA, who did very good work. So I, so I took another old bill and added them to it, an old bill that became law and amended the Virginia law to include that, basically codifying what I got them to do, which was to give us those 500 beagles that were going to perhaps be euthanized instead to, to give them forever loving homes. And then the final bill was Senate Bill 604, which in my research, I <clears throat> determined that in the Commonwealth of Virginia, if you treat an animal cruelly, and I had worked on a bill to make it a felony with my fellow Senator Bill DeStaff, uh, it used to be nothing more than a misdemeanor in the Commonwealth of Virginia. We made it into a felony. But if you were outside the fence of Invigo and you treated your animal cruelly in the way that they had, then I would have been charged with a felony. Inside the fence, it was legal. And they would not be, nor could they be charged with any kind of cruelty to animal uh, violation, criminal charge. And in, in Virginia, uh, not just a misdemeanor comes with up to 12 months in jail, but this is a class six felony, which is one to five years. And so I then said, you must treat those dogs in the same way that we hold the rest of Virginians to do, which is you must treat them humanely. And that way, if you treat them inhumanely, like we saw ever again, like we saw in those videos, then those persons, that company, and everybody associated would be charged and hopefully convicted of a class six felony. You can imagine that all of these bills were not favored by Invigo. But as I said earlier, with the publicity that had happened, they caught fire and eventually were unanimously in a bipartisan way voted out of both the House and Senate and onto the governor who signed them. So that's rare that bills, especially anything trying to regulate the animal testing industry, is passed unanimously. So what do you think was the common goal that brought everyone together on this? Well, I think first you, you credit PETA. I think, too, the, the fact that we were adopting Finding Homes within the General Assembly uh, session, that session, and everybody seeing beagles and 
I remember coming back to my office and there was a long line of people outside my office. And you, you have that occasionally that want to talk to you about bills or issues that are important to them. And I thought, okay, who, and I said, who wants to see me? And they, they said, no, no, we want to see the dog. And the dog was inside and everybody was taking turns petting and playing with it. And so what, what I saw was, is that we had stopped saying, as they said to me 13 sessions earlier in the General Assembly, don't bring a dog or cat bill. And they saw the humanity that we are better as human beings than our nature. And we don't need to do this in Virginia. And they understood ultimately the problem as a policy decision of allowing this to occur in the Commonwealth. So it didn't take long, and especially with Jennifer Boisco on the Democrat side, myself on the, on the Republican side, to lobby our fellow colleagues in the House and Senate to get them on board. In fact, Jennifer and I used to joke about at the, by the time the bill was finally formed, there had been so many co-patrons who had signed on to the bill. The bill started on page two, not on the front page. And that was war that was that warmed our hearts and made us feel really good. The other thing was, is, you know, Invigo, I think, overplayed their hand in trying to, in my opinion, tried to strong arm these bills to, to death and find a, a weaker version. And I think the General Assembly rejected that. And so so that really was a, a tidal wave, as I said, caught fire. And then I went even over into the House side because all of these bills were on the Senate side only and thought I might find a harder time getting them passed in, in that Republican-controlled House. In fact, what I found were champions like Delegate Rob Bell and, and Delegate Weber, who picked them up, ran with them, made them better. Delegate Bobby Orrock, and they made them stronger and better even. And, and even when uh, last-minute plays were being made by Invigo's lobbyists to try to water them down or change them, they stood in the way and said, no, you're out of time, you're out of luck, and this is what's going to happen. It was really refreshing especially in today's political environment, to see 140 Democrats and Republicans coming together on such an important issue to Virginia. I wish we could do it more. It is so heartwarming, everyone standing up for those beagles. And I'm smiling over here because just hearing you tell that story makes me happy. Me too, by the way. My wife, I will tell you, my wife, I said, I'm doing this as a podcast on beagles. She goes, oh, great. You love talking about dogs and beagles. So <clears throat> thanks for letting me relive it a little bit here. So you have publicly expressed your disagreement of using animals for experimentation. Would you say that you're seeing a shift towards more legislators in this country wanting more protections for animals in research? I am. Um, I, you know, I think we're probably still in the minority overall, but I think we're gain, gaining more and more people in the legislature that are coming around to our position. It's a gradual thing. And I think, you know, with some of the bills that both Jennifer and myself put forward, trying to really hold those facilities that experiment on animals, not just companion animals, hold them accountable. And even in the same record keeping, as we talked about one of my bills in, in the Invigo Beagle bills, you know, we still see some influences from those higher institutions of learning in the Commonwealth, which is really disappointing because they don't register as lobbyists, but they lobby. And quite frankly, uh, they do it in an, a back room, smoky back room way, which is kind of detrimental. We had a couple of bills when we can talk about those as well. But what I see is, especially with the General Assembly being up for re-election, all 140 seats this year, is we're going to see a big turnover of the old guard and the new guard will be coming in. There will be a lot of new legislators. And I think a lot of that, those younger legislators that are going to come in 
will agree with us that this is the 21st century. We can be better than this. We have so many tools at our disposal that we can find out the answers to the questions that we have in terms of experimentation using technologies that weren't present 20, 30 years ago. And quite frankly, I mean, we have uh, you know artificial intelligence and all this thing, all these things. But why would we hurt an animal when we can find the answer some other way that doesn't hurt that animal? And and I think that's our responsibility as human beings. Our Lord put these dogs and cats on this planet for a certain reason. When I was younger, my father said, you know, when I, one time, you know, my uh, my dog died, and I was very upset about it. And I said, why don't they live that long? And you know, why, why, why does this happen? And he said, well, one, you can open your heart for more uh, animals, dogs and cats to love. But two, you know, he told me that dogs teach human beings three absolutes, perfect love, perfect loyalty, and perfect forgiveness. And if we as human beings could be like that, what kind of world would we have? We owe this to the animals that are here uh, who cannot take care of themselves, protections, and that, that is not just in caring for them, but also making sure that we're not cruelly treating them in ways for our own selfish needs like experimentation. So ultimately, I think we're all going to get to where we're moving. And I think it's a gradual path, but I think it's gotten faster because of the Invigo Beagles and the heroic efforts of those that, uh, all of those out there that, that help get them find loving homes. So now we get to talk about your two beloved beagles, Dixie and Daisy. They're from Envigo, and you got them before Envigo was shut down. You were quoted in the media, the papers, as saying about one of them, this dog is not being experimented on. How much for this dog? I have so many questions about how that transpired exactly, and what was it that gripped you so strongly to choose that beagle on that day? So, and it's a great story. I love telling it. So thank you for letting me tell it for the hundredth time. At that first uh, visit in the summer uh, of August, I think it was August 2020, when they dragged me around uh, the Invigo facility to tell me how great this place was. We'd gotten to the end of the tour of, the, of where the dogs were being housed, and it was a loading bay. And they were sitting there with their executives telling us all about the great things that they do and how they take care of the dogs and how they care about them. And of course, I didn't want to hear the humans. I looked over my shoulder and saw there were three cages. And there was, instead of 20 or 30 dogs in this running cage, like I was seeing, there were only like three or four. And they were, you know, just a little bit out of puppyhood, but not much older than, say, six months. And so I went over there to look at them and pet them. And I stuck my hand through the cages to pet them. And I stuck my hand through the cage of uh, one cage and, and this beautiful beagle put her head right into my hand like this, where she put it right into my hand and looked up, the, up at me. And if you've ever had a beagle uh, and their eyes, uh, they get you with their eyes every time. And so I started to pet her and she, and I saw this tattoo on her ear, which was the first I'd ever seen of that. And she kind of rolled over to let me pet her. And while they were still discussing these matters with the two other senators that were there that were along on the trip, I turned around and said, this beagle is too nice. This beagle cannot be experimented on. She's too loving, too nice. How much for her? And they looked at me and they said, well, that, oh. they were awkward in their response. And I, and I said, no, I want to buy her. I don't want you to give, me to, uh, give her to me. And they were like, well, we, we, we've never sold beagles like that 
And I knew that that Beagle was on the loading dock because she was about to be loaded up and taken off to a, to a facility for experimentation. So on the walk down, I badgered both the veterinarian uh, that Invigo had hired and, you know, not, not in a uh, awful way, but I badgered them and the CEO to let me buy this dog. And we got to our cars and the, and the, and the tour was over and they went inside and I thought, well, that didn't happen. And, and their lobbyist came outside and said, uh, you really want that dog? I said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have a checkbook in my car. And um, they said, okay, well, how do we know? Then they, they went back in and then they said, would you sign a non-disclosure agreement? And of course I'm violating it, but I don't care. Um, and I said, sure, I'll do anything. And, you know, I'll write you a check. And uh, they said, how do we know what dog? And I said, well, you know, I remembered, I memorized the ear number, at least the top line. There's two lines, two, three, it's letters and numbers. And I uh, read them out to her. And I also said that she had certain freckles on her belly because she'd rolled over. And they came back and they said, okay, well, we'll give it to you. And I said, I can't take gifts. That's unethical. I'm going to pay for this dog. But what I want you to do is take this money because I'd ask them, where is a run where they can go outside? They didn't have one. I said, you're going to take this money and you're going to um, build a facilities where they can run outside. And they agreed and they went and got her and she was terrified. <clears throat> and I took her home and I wrote a thousand dollar check. That's uh, a lot for a bagel, but I didn't care. Uh, I want to make sure that it was not a gift. And I took her home that night in the, at my apartment and my son was there and we put her down on the ground. We got her, of course, a hundred dog toys and beautiful collars and sweaters and stuff. Um, and I put her on the ground and for the first time it struck me, she had never seen grass before. And the feeling of grass was almost so foreign to her and the smells that were filling her nose that she had never smelled before because the cages were indoor outdoor runs that were concrete and then had grates where their feces and urine could pass down underneath and drain off. Here she was seeing something that was grass. And it was, to my other rescue dogs, I mean, they love grass. They know it's there for them. They take it for granted. We take it for granted. But here she was seeing something that she had never seen before. And then to watch her kind of just open up from that as her nose was bringing in all these foreign smells and, and to see her gingerly walk on grass, I, I cried. And my son cried and my son finally got down on the ground and put her on his chest so that she would feel more comfortable. And once she felt more comfortable, she jumped down so she could feel that grass under her feet again. It was an amazing, an amazing evening for me and my family. Was the story of your second Beagle Dixie the same or similar? So Dixie came, yeah, Dixie came in a second trip. Actually, it was not intended, although... Uh, I threatened my wife that I was going back up there for the second surprise visit. And it was still, uh, it was in November. So I was going to wear a hoodie so that I could jam as many beagles as I could into the hoodie, <laughs> into the pocket. And so uh, she said, no, we, you know, we had, we had enough dogs. And so when, when we met the, the lobbyists that uh, at our surprise trip, where it turned out not to be a surprise, their CEO looked at me and said, well, is there anything else, you know, you'd want to do? And I said, I want to go to the puppy pen. And I want these guys, these lobbyists, and there were four very young lobbyists in a very, very high-end lobby group in Richmond. And I said, I want you to come, come with me. And we marched up to the puppy pen, and I said, open the door. And they opened the door. And I said, now, ladies and gentlemen, walk inside. And they walked inside with me, and I said, kneel down. And they started kneeling down, and this sea of small little tiny beagles were jumping all over them. And, and I looked at them, and I said, now, I want to let you know who you're representing. 
because every single one of these dogs in here will probably be dead in the next six to eight months. And they turn gray and ashen face. And this one dog, and then when I was kneeling down, just clung to my leg. And I looked down, I was patting it, I was patting it. Pretty soon I picked it up, I was patting it. And it just stayed with me. And pretty soon as I was, you know, I told him to close the, the gate after we'd done, and he's, I taught the lesson I thought the lobbyists needed to learn. Uh, I still had the dog in my arms, and I said, and the CEO, he was a really nice guy, and his heart was in the right place, but just in the wrong business. He looks at me and goes, well, I guess you're buying another Beagle. And I said, I guess I am. And that's how I got Dixie. And now the differences are are, are certainly different because Dixie didn't have the experiences that I think Daisy had inside the pens. But um, that's how we got Daisy and Dixie. I don't remember hearing that story in such depth anywhere in the papers or anything. So I'm so happy that you shared that with us. Yeah, I think that's the first time anybody other than my wife has heard it. Yeah. So since Envigo's closure in Virginia, you've co-sponsored another bill, which aims to establish additional penalties and restrictions for animal testing facilities that violate the Animal Welfare Act, as Envigo had. So this bill you're co-sponsoring, it was going to require universities conducting animal research to submit annual reports to the Virginia Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, including the number and type of animals used and the costs associated with these experiments. Higher education lobbyists didn't quite agree with this bill and changed the language of the bill. This is public transparency, and it makes sense to me, especially in light of Invigo. So why would universities want to hide this information instead of share it with the public? Well, um, first and foremost, it was a bill that I sponsored, but when it ran through committee on the Senate side and the uh, higher institutions of learning lobbyists, let's call them what they are, started to, to do what they do in the, in the back uh, rooms, I decided that for me, and there was a house companion, and then of course, Jennifer Boisco had another version of the bill. But for me, I was not going to water my bill down. I was not going to allow them to win. And so what I asked the chairman to do was to carry the bill over to next year, but to write a letter, the chairman of the Agricultural Committee, Chap Peterson, agreed to write a letter to all of these institutions, these public institutions of higher learning. We're talking about UVA, Virginia Tech, VCU, et cetera, and make them answer those questions. Make them tell us what they do to correct these violations. What is their protocol? What is, you know, that I figured I could get more information from a letter than I could ever get from a watered down bill. I'm not going to sacrifice, nor am I going to give in to these institutes of higher learning, even if they are UVA or Virginia Tech or Virginia Commonwealth University, so that they can continue to do these things in darkness. And so I would rather sacrifice my bill than have that happen. And what I, what, what I, I wrote the letter that the chairman signed and had some cooperation from some of our, uh, from our stakeholders, though they shall remain nameless, but we came up with a really good list in demand of what information we wanted this year from them uh, and to see how they're treating these animals and what these violations are and how they're correcting them and what their experimentation protocols are. I thought that was much more important. And so that letter was sent out. And unbelievably, you know, and unfortunately, I watched as Jennifer's, uh, Senator Boyce's bills were also watered down by them and 
Senate, uh, Delegate Webert's bill was completely hijacked. And in fact, now I hear is going to be amended again by the governor's office to make it even weaker, which I oppose. I'm not going to find middle ground when it comes to this kind of stuff, not when it comes to experimenting on animals, especially companion animals, and especially when all of a sudden we create these institutions of higher learning, we fund them with taxpayer dollars, and that somehow they're above the law and that they can be less than transparent when it comes to these issues. I don't agree with that. I don't accept it. I'm not going to be a part of it. And so next year, I think they're going to be surprised with some of the bills that I come back with uh, that I will not compromise on, especially after I witnessed how they treated Delegate Webert and Senator Boisco with the bills that we carried that I struck rather than have them change and water down. While all the Invigo beagles are now safe and in adoptive homes, there is still an ongoing investigation by our government scrutinizing why the USDA left thousands of beagles to suffer at Invigo for so long, even though they had documented welfare violations all the way back to 2017, maybe even before. So between July 21st, 2021, and March 2022 alone, inspectors documented over 60 violations during four visits to Invigo, more than half of which were deemed direct or critical, meaning the dogs' lives were at risk. Policy states that follow-up inspections after violations must occur within 14 days. These follow-up inspections never happened at Envigo. In addition, inspection reports were edited down to remove some of the more gruesome findings, such as staff euthanizing puppies via cardiac injection without anesthesia. It sounds like these things were being covered up on purpose, and honestly, it worries me to think that this type of thing could be happening at other animal testing and breeding facilities nationwide, and that the system designed to protect dogs in labs is broken. What are your thoughts on that? Amen. <laughs> I mean, those are my thoughts. Uh, you know, you have to think, remember, what is the largest entity that experiments on these dogs and cats? It's the government. Um, the first indication that I had this was even going on was when uh, the McGuire Center Medical Center was experimenting on those beagles by cutting them open, putting pacemakers in and running them to death on, on, uh, on tracks. You know, we've seen the federal government, even the CDC, using beagles to blow parasites into their nose, eyes, and face and get them terribly sick and in pain and not treat them just to see what the reaction is. We've seen actually uncovered where there have been experiments by the federal government where they give these dogs cocaine and then run them on a treadmill to see if they have an, uh, an anti-drug, you know, a drug that would cancel out the effects of the cocaine. There's no reason to do this, but your largest purveyor of these animals are governments, both foreign and domestic. Remember our higher institutions of learning that do these experiments in the Commonwealth of Virginia are government entities. And so, of course, one hand's going to wash the other, in my opinion, because to expose what's going on means that they then uh, are held accountable for these cruelly treating treatment of animals. And, and so I, I tend to agree with you that there's a cover-up. There was a cover-up. It wasn't for the work of volunteers and PETA 
and the Humane Society and SPCA uh, to uncover those things, to pull back the curtain and to allow us all in the public to see what was actually going on, this stuff would still be going on. I mean, if you read the USDA, and I urge everybody who's, who's listening who hasn't read them, read the USDA reports from their inspection and investigations in Invigo alone. Read the, if you can, even stomach it, because I had to put it down many times because I could not believe that we human beings were treating, you know, these cats and dogs, companion animals that depend on us in such a way. And you, you then understand when the federal government or the state government or Invigo tells you why, when I ask them, why do you experiment on beagles? And they say, because they're the most trusting and compliant. They won't bite you. This is a government that's used to getting its own way and sees these as commodities, not as living, breathing things. And I'm always reminded that, and I, and I think really what we were talking about earlier is important too. There is a public swell, groundswell of support uh, to protect companion animals in the Commonwealth of Virginia based on the efforts of the organizations I've just said and the network that they have. But when I saw a, a poll that says 70% of Virginians own either a dog or a cat or some kind of companion animal, but of those 70%, 92% believe that they're like human, they're part of the family. And here a government never thinks that way because it is inanimate and it, and it will take advantage of those animal or human in many ways. And I think sometimes the way we see um, governments treat our animals and our companion animals is the same way that we see them cruelly treat our fellow man. And so I think, quite frankly, that the lab system is broken. I think it's been a cover-up. I think it's been a dirty secret of our state and federal governments and, and organizations like White Coat Waste Project and, and of course, John Raymer's uh, Kindness Ranch and and Sue Bell and every single person and yourself, Ellie, who who stands up and says enough, we're not putting up with this anymore. I think then that's how you fix the system. There's no way in my mind that we can fix this system by making it more humane. The way to make it more humane is to eliminate it, and that's what we're seeing, you know, hopefully start all across this nation. Thank you for clarifying that. Do you think that what happened in the state of Virginia with your Beagle bills and in Vigo, do you see that other states could follow suit and pass their own Beagle bills? You know, because I believe that what you've done in the state of Virginia should be a model for our whole country. Well, thank you for saying that. That, that means a lot. Uh, but what I have had is a lot of phone calls from legislators in other states who've either asked for copies of the bill to see how it progressed to ask for my notes, to ask for advice. And that's, that's heartwarming to me uh, because what we're seeing is now, the, again, a little bit of a tidal wave, a little bit of this catch and fire, where I think every state should make a policy decision. Are they going to allow these things to occur in their state? Are they going to allow these breeding facilities to pop up in their state? You know, with the closure of Invigo through the federal court, which was a great master stroke, what we saw is Invigo is building a large facility in Maryland to the north of Virginia. That needs to be closed down. We need to stop this marketing of breeding animals, companion animals especially, beagles especially, for experimental purposes, painful experimental purposes. Jennifer Boisco passed the bill. She and I, I was her co-sponsor, but she took the lead. 
stopping the experimentation of cats uh, by cosmetic companies and preventing those kind of cosmetics that experiment on cats to determine you know, whether the chemical ir is an irritant or not, that they can't sell their product in the Commonwealth of Virginia. What a great move on her part. And I think uh, we've seen that start to take root in other states as well. So, you know, all they have to do is look at my two dogs, Dixie and Daisy, to know uh, that it is a policy decision that is the right one to make, that we shouldn't be doing this in Texas, Virginia, California, Utah, wherever there are Americans, we should not have experimentation on companion animals. We need to regulate more strictly all experimentation on all animals. We need to explore other avenues in which we can find the answers that science seeks without harming uh, those animals that can't take care of themselves but depend on us and trust us to do that. So I, I think it is a, it's a movement that's growing um, exponentially. And, and, and listen, I've gotten a call since I got back from the General Assembly session from somebody in another state on, the, on these Beagle Bills, uh, and this has been a year since we passed them. So uh, I, I have great hope that our legislators, that those citizens who are elected to the state houses all across our land are going to follow our lead in Virginia. We were the first. Uh, let us uh, watch it become the 50th law in the 50th state so it can be the last. I'd like to publicly thank Senator Stanley for his extraordinary efforts to help dogs in laboratories. I, for one, will be emailing the link of this podcast episode to my own state senators and representative, and I urge you to do the same. If you need any tips on how to do this, email me, your host, Ellie Hansen, at dogresearchexposed at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Dog Research Exposed. Check out our website at www.dogresearchexposed.com for more resources and actions you can take to help dogs in research laboratories today.